The way that your business operates every day is a choice. And if you don't like the way that it operates, make the choice to get better, go to work, do your homework, because once it happens more than once, it's a choice. And so if you don't like the way something is, call this your call to action, your kick in the ass to build the business that you wish you had. Stop working on your before picture. Less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor interview. John, I typically talk uh, to Martin, our co-host first, and banter for the first good bit, but he's not here today, so it's it's me and you for banter time. Um, <laughs> I want to I want to start with something that is fairly prevalent today, and uh, let's start with ChatGPT. So, sure, you I, I, you've mentioned it on your Twitter. That's how I found you, but. What do you think about ChatGPT? You think it's going to revolutionize the world and the way we do education? Uh, so I think it is exactly like um, going from shovels to uh, uh, construction machines. Excavators. In that excavators, yeah, shovels to excavators. Okay. Exactly. In that you still need a human. That human still needs to be skilled, but the output of one human can be magnified by 50 fold. Yeah. And so you're not going to have an automated backhoe, right? <laughs> or whatever it is, automated bulldozer anytime soon, but you can move tons and tons uh, when somebody with a shovel could have only moved a half a ton over a week. And so I really think it's a magnifier of human mm. outputs and productivity, not a replacement is how I view it. Yeah. I think so too. And I think there's too many people out there that are trying to use it as that silver bullet that is going to try to, you know, write the paper for you as a student or create the legal document for you that you're just going to go ahead and use without even thinking about it. But it, it's definitely something that's got to be a magnifier. That's good. So especially, especially with your crowd, yeah, you know, uh, they just like me, I, I, I curse a little bit, whatever. They go for it. Um, I've been pitched too many shitty software products that are promising to like re, re change my business and all this crap. And it's just like, don't, you're not fooling me again, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> like, and so all these tech bros saying, we're going to revolutionize the construction industry with our software. Just pay me $400 a month. I'm just like, no freaking thank you. Yeah. And, but that doesn't mean that software can't help your construction industry business like crazy. Yeah. But it just, I don't, those guys like to smell their farts a little bit too much for me. And so, you know, that, that's how I view it. Oh, I, I'm totally with you. Marketers ruin everything in, in some way or another. And they pitch these promises like it's, uh, like it's a silver bullet, like it's going to solve everything if you just pay the monthly yep. subscription. Yep. And at the end of the day, that subscription just sits there. It's a tool. Yep. It's, not a, it's not a solution. It's a tool. Yep. And, and just, I heard something once the other day that I loved. It was uh, just because somebody can accurately describe your problem doesn't mean that they can solve it. That's right? very good. That's and very true. And it's like, oh, that's such a, I love that. That's so true. And that's what the marketers do really well. They get that messaging down where they just understand what your problem is and they talk about your problem really well. And so you're like, oh, they get it. When in reality, like that's not enough. It's just it's just some kid sitting in a WeWork, man. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm busy. Leave me alone. <laughs> that's great, man. So, have you always been in business? What got you into business in, in the first place, John? 
So I was, I grew up in a business family. My dad was an entrepreneur before it was cool. You okay. Know, it's gotten cool in the last, whatever, 20 years or whatever, yeah. 10, 15 years. But back in the early eighties, when everybody from his kind of professional education went to big companies, he like made his own way. And so as a kid, I was just around business a lot. Yeah. Um, and just what were his businesses? He was a, just a career entrepreneur. So he did, he was in the publishing industry industry for a while. He was in the conference business for a while. He just did just an entrepreneur. Cool. He had to evolve several times. And so just as a kid, I was always around this entrepreneurial mindset and saw how much flexibility and autonomy well-run entrepreneurship can give. Mm. Um, and he did well and he provided and, but was never missed baseball practice. Right. Yeah. And so, um, even though I had some kind of career detours for the first 10 or so years of my career, I always knew that I'd, I'd land back in business and, and, mm. uh, and I have. That's cool. What detours are you talking about? So I was in the uh, foreign service. So okay. I was a, a diplomat. So working in embassies. Cool. So um, did that for a uh, better part of a decade, living in North Africa, your neck of the woods and, yeah. uh, and the Gulf, uh, the Middle East. So any business uh, or what, why don't you give our listeners just an idea of what cultures, like, how, how different cultures like North Africa, sure. Middle East, like business wise, sure. just the way things operate. That's a, that's a great question. How much time you got? But, yeah. Let, yeah. Um, seriously. Yeah. I think probably, I think it's probably easier to think about Dubai where I spent yeah. a bunch of time rather than North Africa. Cause that's just like a big, big knot. It is. But du Dubai is probably, um, I think it, it's a, it's a shining example. Again, and a lot of people say Dubai is like Vegas in the middle East. And I'm like, you're completely incorrect. Yeah. Because Vegas is a city of sin right. and Dubai is a city of trade. And you have an Iranian guy meeting with a South African to import Ukrainian to Thailand. That's Dubai, right? Yeah. And so it's, uh, you know, it really made me love, you know, and Dubai is not without its flaws. Absolutely. Right. But um, it really, if you ever want capitalism uh, and seeing what, capitalism can bring to to really just create the energy and excitement um a place like dubai uh is is definitely a place for that so i was it, lucky enough to spend a bunch of years there yeah it's a fascinating place and it's way more international than people realize especially in the states i think we think of it as like a middle eastern city and sure but it is mm -hmm. like 95 percent foreigners or ten, even more it's 10 percent local 90 percent expat it's crazy and the night I'd spent time in different parts of the Middle East and the night I got to Dubai, my first night, it was like 11 at night. And you're going to understand how weird this is. I saw like a young white girl jogging down the street and I was like, where am you I? You don't do that in some places. <laughs> yeah. I was like, where am I? And I was like this. It was like my introduction to like how different Dubai is. It's yeah. it's a um, it's it's a unique oasis that I'm broadly speaking, a huge fan of. Again, yeah. not without its flaws. It's still got this broken you know, got a lot of broken parts, but looking at what they've accomplished and how long they have, there's a lot of lessons for entrepreneurs and business owners and governments about kind of being flexible, but still sticking to your roots. And, yeah. you know, again, not perfect, but uh, I'm a, generally speaking, I'm a big fan of UAE and more specifically Dubai. Yeah, for sure. The, uh, have you seen, I'm sure you've seen the photo of like 1990 Dubai and then, oh, it's just wild. There's like one building. Nuts. 
Oh, like, it's, 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 I mean, there's like, I used to know all these like crazy statistics, but it was like, you know, 75% of like the world's cranes were in Dubai at some point. Or something <laughs> oh, like no that. way. Because they That's built cool. so fast. But well, I think um, it's just a testament yeah. that like you don't have to wait forever to get things done. Like they've just got things done. And sure, there are broken parts, like you said, with labor and, you know, different yeah. things that are going on. But for the most part, they just got stuff done. It's really cool. To I see. think it's also the power and, you know, again, with with all their flaws included, the the leadership of the UAE doesn't want for ambition. And I think they really set the standard of how how a powerful vision for mm. this sleepy fishing village that was like this loose association of tribes a hundred years ago. I mean, imagine, pardon my French, imagine the balls <laughs> to basically just be like, <laughs> like, I am going to be the biggest airport in the region, the biggest trading hub in the region, the biggest mall in the, re like just the stones to put yeah. that marker down. And then, you know, I mean, again, it's just, I, I, I very much, uh, very much, uh, hold those folks again with all their flaws included in high regard, just based on, just based on the balls yeah. of taking their shot. Well, know? even to even have that vision, because like you have to import so much food. Energy is a huge issue is like, you know, and water is an issue. Like, I mean, energy, you've got the oil, but the, the, um, electrical grid that you need. I mean, everything is just, yeah. I mean, all of it. Right. It's, it's crazy. And, so. and I think the other thing that they've done in particular Dubai, but some others as well is they've made, they've made hard trade-offs, right? Which yeah. is they've stayed connected to their kind of some of their traditional roots, but they recognize if we want ex Westerners here, we have to allow alcohol. So right. how do we balance that with you know, our traditional roots that doesn't believe Islam, you know, doesn't, doesn't do the alcohol thing or the pork right. thing. Right. And so they've made these trade-offs that are, um, I think very, uh, very intelligent that, you know, there's lessons for business owners in that, uh, whereas some of these other countries have tried to have it both ways and it doesn't work yeah. where it's like, Oh, we want all the Westerners, but we don't want all this stuff. And it's just like, I think the leadership of the UAE has looked hard in the mirror and, far from perfect, but has made some really important trade-offs to let a British guy live there for 20 years. And they're just like, look, we'll just have a section of the supermarket that says for non-Muslims only and sell pork there. Yeah. Right? There you go. No big deal. We can have liquor stores. They're kind of off in the side, but we're going to have liquor stores because, yeah. you know, because or else the the Irish guys won't live here. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, so I think they've done a really good job of that. And I haven't seen that necessarily in a lot of other parts of the, the region. And I right. think it, it holds them back, frankly. It does. It definitely does. Yeah. Very interesting. So, you know, you, you're in the foreign service. What's that moment that you say I'm going into being an entrepreneur? Like how, what does that transition look like and why does it happen? Yeah. So I think I had one of the coolest jobs in the government for sure. Okay. Um, and I really, really liked what I did and I was doing it during a really fun time. Um, or very, I don't want to say fun. That's not the right word. Uh, interesting time because the Syrian conflict was going on mm. and um, the, some of the Iranian no negotiations were all happening, all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, I always knew entrepreneurship was in my blood. Mm. And at the end of the day, largely in the government, no matter how cool what you do is, it's still the government. And yeah. you still have to play by a lot of rules and submit a lot of receipts to some crazy finance lady and just, you know, the bureaucracy. I mean, again, 
I'm very proud of my service. I would, I would hope other people would do the same thing in, in various forms, but um, it's uh, spending a career there is probably, I'm a little, as this, this interview will probably shake out, I got a little bit too much energy. And so I start, I start kind of banging against the walls a bit, let's say. Yeah. Uh, and so very proud. And I think, you know, in, in some ways our country is, I don't want to say lost the tradition, but this idea of the citizen soldier or the person who is in the government for a period of time and then goes back to their mm-hmm. home and opens up a store or whatever. And so I always like that idea of just like not doing 35 years, but also not doing it. And so that was really kind of a part of my plan, which was I wanted to do my service, do what I could, and then kind of transition. So Wow. Very cool. So you, you yeah. get to that point where you've, you're ready to go back into entrepreneurship. What's the first thing you get into? So I was living in Dubai, and so I always liked this idea, and I, I don't know, I, I either invented it or stole it. I, don't, I have no idea. Um, but I always liked this idea to basically use where you currently are as like half old job and half what you want to be doing. So don't mm. try to go from like construction to owning taxis. Find a way to do construction for taxi stands so it's half old job, half new job, and it kind mm. of like smooths the transition. Don't try to jump straight to taxis, right? right? And so I always in my career have looked for ways to kind of like leverage what I have been doing in order to get to where directionally I wanted to go. Yeah. And so for me, the first thing I was doing was I was working with a lot of US-based real estate companies who wanted to raise foreign direct investment from the Middle East uh-huh. because it was kind of half my old job, which was like networking with rich people, right? And then I got exposure to marketing and kind mm. of real estate finance. So I was like half, half old job, half new job. And uh, so started doing that for a little while just to kind of like figure out business um, right. as an adult. So, sure. so that's how I made the transition. And then you went from that real estate finance into what next? Uh, so basically over the course of that, I was able to accumulate some skills, things like digital marketing and kind of sales stuff and things like that. Yeah. And over time, I saw that some of the folks running those types of companies weren't that impressive. Mm-hmm. And it made me want to operate. So it made me want to actually be the owner operator of companies. And uh, because I was just like, man, if this is the people running companies, like, I want to go compete and go yeah. kind of play on that field. And so, um, so from that, uh, kind of marginally successfully bought bought a couple of businesses in Florida. Didn't really like them. Um, have sold most of them at this point. And then um, my biggest, probably to date, my biggest success was I bought a, a home improvement company in Southern California and um, was able to grow it really, really fast. Um, and what and type of home improvement? It was a garage upgrade company. Okay. So... Um, and we can definitely kind of deep dive on all that, but, um, it was, there was attributes to it that let us grow it really fast and, uh, was able to take something that was not, you know, basically grow it almost 500% in a year, which is pretty cool. So, so what made you um, choose garage, the garage door aspect? What got you into uh, that? Uh, upgrades, not doors. And that's an important reason. Yeah. So, okay. uh, Tell me more. Important distinction. So. A um, couple different things. So when I was looking to buy a business, I wanted something in Southern California because that's where I wanted to live. And okay. so definitely we were industry agnostic, meaning I looked at a million different sectors. So I looked at a courier service. I looked at a kid's play place rental business. I looked at a whatever. And so this business that we found um, 
there was a couple attributes to it that we really liked. The first was, um, even though it kind of looked like a construction business, it was really a product business with mm. installation included. So it wasn't, it had some attributes of construction, like the licensing and things like that. But essentially, I didn't have to have super skilled crews. I didn't have to have super skilled salespeople, which let me grow really fast because I didn't have to, you know, have this talent pipeline that was years long, right. right? Which I'm sure a lot of your audience understands some of the things that break when you grow is you're like, well, if I don't do the estimate, we lose margin. Yeah. Whereas in this business, because it was largely driven by like cabinet sales and slat wall, which is stuff on the walls, flooring, I can train a salesperson with no experience in a couple of days. Hmm. And so that let me bring on a bunch of salespeople really quickly. Whereas in a normal construction company, you're like, oh, I can't, <laughs> you know, if these yeah. guys mess up the plans, I lose money. So right. um, the other thing that we liked about it was, um, the other thing we really liked about it was uh, very unsophisticated industry from a digital marketing perspective. And so we were able to look at kind of uh, in specifically what clicks were costing on Google. Yeah. Uh, which I think most pe maybe mo most people know, but it's a very kind of old school business tactic. Mm -hmm. And we were seeing that they were very, very inexpensive compared to what they should have been. Sure. So given how much money we made per job, they should have been costing $20, $30 each, mm -hmm. and they were costing one or $2 each. And so that meant that if we got into that space, we could find a lot of customers really, really fast with a very basic marketing technique. Right, really interesting. So who is your ideal client for this business when you first started? Like, you know, what yep. are you gonna be doing for them exactly? Yep, so classic, you know, the fancy marketing word is like avatar. Like who's, who's your sure. customer profile, right? Yeah. And for us, it's middle or upper middle class, not upper class, um, okay. homeowners who um, have a garage, obviously, have probably kids, and they basically just want that room to be nicer. Mm. And so uh, the average sale for a garage upgrade in Southern California is around 10,000 bucks. Okay. Um, and that includes like a couple walls of cabinets, the floor, and slat wall, which is stuff you can hang things on on the wall. Um, and so, you know, we've had them as big as $40,000, as small as $2,000, but broadly speaking, eight, nine, ten thousand dollars $10,000. So one day install, uh, two or three days if you do the floor. Easy to sell, easy to quote, easy to deliver. You know, we don't have to have a porta potty on site or anything like that. And so we can really um, move quickly with crews and salespeople and stuff like that. Um, so really yeah, that's the classic. Yeah, that's the, and that's kind of why we liked it is because when you look at some of the challenges that I'm sure you're, your audience is very familiar with, um, the complexities really mount as you get more and more kind of custom, even though you're making more and more money, it's just, it's very difficult to scale because there's so much judgment involved and there's so much, if I don't have a, you know, really skilled carpenter, I can't make money. Whereas for us, we could take basically a handyman and have him crushing installs for us right so well i think you know so much of the success there too is not just that you're in this you know business where there's an opportunity with good margins uh and you don't have a lot of barriers to entry with labor but yeah. also it's very specific like too many people are doing trying to do too much in construction oftentimes like oh yeah i'll quote that job because it looks like a, a really good opportunity to get some revenue but like you were so specific and you stuck to garages and there's only so much that you can do inside that room. And did you ever say, hey, we're actually gonna do additions too? Like, probably not. 
you know? And so we actually did the opposite. So, you know, there's this great phrase like riches in the niches, mm -hmm. right? And, and most people want to work with an expert. That's, that's the idea is people want to work with a specialist. Now, the only issue with specialization, if you go back to like your business school 101 or whatever, right, is you have to make sure that there are enough customers within yeah. your niche. Right. That's the key. So I could beat Domino's if all I focused on was one neighborhood, but I could never build a business on one neighborhood. So I mm -hmm. have to go out and compete with wider. Now, because of the kind of garage upgrade industry, it's growing. COVID is really helping it because people are staying at home, et cetera, et cetera. We could afford to really niche down yeah. and not worry too much, but that let us get really good, really specific. And when we would go out and compete with like a general contractor, we would say, we wake up every morning, live, breathe, smell garages. Yeah, which is we a fun know thing to say. Every single thing about a garage. Every person in our company knows garage and we beat a GC every time because that's all we do. And so in right. fact, we actually stopped doing certain things like drywall yep. because it was just a distraction. And so we would just send the work out because we want to come in and hammer and that let us grow faster because now it wasn't like drywall. Oh, it's hard to quote. What if there's, maybe it'll take four days. Maybe it'll take seven days. And we just went, there's not much money in it, so we'll just send it out and we'll focus on our bread and butter, cabinets, floors, workbenches, slat wall, and just go, 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 go. And and that's what we were able to do and, and uh, the strategy paid off. Yeah, Re really, really fascinating and very uh, helpful for people to understand how valuable it is to get very specific. So fast forward to today, Yep. it looks a little bit different. Did you sell? We did. Okay. Yeah. So, so we grew it for a couple years and then we sold it and we basically, um, saw for us that, and this is going to sound kind of silly or whatever, but you'll, you'll understand what I mean by it, which mm -hmm. was, um, growing that business beyond a certain size, if it was all owned by us, was going to get really tricky and really expensive and just take a long time. Right because I have to now fly to San Francisco and I got to sign a lease and I got to, and then if that GM quits, I got to, and, and you know, living on a plane kind of thing. So we didn't want to kind of expand geographically. Um, and we also didn't want to franchise. And there's a lot of reasons why we didn't want to franchise just specifically because um, uh, there's a lot of rules and I'm like a crazy, like small government guy. Like I, <laughs> as a man who worked for the government, You'll not meet anybody who doesn't trust the government more than me, because um, <laughs> I saw it from the inside. And so I didn't like this kind of like top-down element of franchises, Yeah, just kind of like me telling Khalil what to do. It's like, uh, nah, man, I'm a businessman so that I can do what I want. Like, so I didn't like that element. Right. So what we did was we did this thing that we're calling business in a box. Um, and so we created this company called Organized Garage. It's at organizedgarage.com. And what we did was we took all of our systems, processes, marketing, uh, installation guides, job ads, everything that's required to run a really dope garage upgrade company, we packaged it up and essentially we license it now. And so where it's different, the big difference between us and a franchise is franchise rules and regulations are very serious, is that we're not co-branded mm -hmm. and we can't tell you to buy anything or force you to buy anything. So it's not like a distributorship. Right. And so basically, uh, 
you know, we have, I think 17 of these now, we call them affiliates. And what it is, and we have a couple uh, general contractors in there who want to add garage upgrades, right? And what it is, is that it's not called Organized Garage Nebraska location. It's called Khalil's Wonderful Garage. Right. And we're underneath the hood, showing you how to do everything, helping you with everything, helping you with the mark, helping you with all the stuff. But because it's not co-branded, there's no rules. Because if Khalil decides he wants to do, you know, outdoor kitchens, we're like, right. awesome. We don't care. Whereas if you were doing that in a franchise system, they'd say, you Khalil, you're not it. allowed to do that because yeah. you're going to ruin our brand. And right. so it's a really cool, we think it's a really innovative way to kind of get a lot of help, but without a lot of the BS, frankly, that comes with kind of co-branded franchises. So yeah. we've been doing that. We got 17 now. It's awesome. That's awesome. So is yeah. it licensing just uh, content and systems and processes, or is it licensing actual services from your company? Yep. So so just kind of overviewing the model quickly, it's, it's three things, which okay. is uh, the first is kind of um, the like uh, encyclopedia of garage upgrades, right? Okay. So that's everything from CAD drawings, if you want custom cabinets made, to which websites uh, convert the best if you're marketing, to sales training as you hire sales trainers, to the software we use to design these things. We license, you know, we basically give that up to job descriptions to find per piece installers, right? So it's just all the crap that we develop to, to grow really fast. So that's the first part. Okay. The second part is optional services that we can do for you. So like, if you want us to answer your phone, we can do that. If you want us to, um, if you want to use our software build that we kind of built on top of an existing software called Magic Plan, I don't know if your audience has ever heard of it, but we put a bunch of money into Magic Plan, we've got custom objects, it's great. If you want to buy that from us, it's not that expensive. Um, and then the third that's by far the most valuable is this, uh, ongoing like community and um, uh, community and kind of like mentorship, which is mm. we're all in a group and we're, you know, I have my best sales guy ever and he runs a weekly call where all of our affiliates get on and they're talking about, hey, I was trying to get, a, uh, I was standing in the garage and I wanted to get into the house, but they wouldn't let me in the house. Do you guys have any tricks on how to get into the house? Cause you can't close big sales in the garage. We're like, awesome. Yeah, let's, let's workshop how to get into the house to close the sale. And so this kind of ongoing, hey, does anybody have a good epoxy flake guy east of the Mississippi? The shipping's really expensive. Oh yeah, I got a good guy. And so we're all just kind of like, you know, and we're injecting our expertise, but then folks are also helping each other. So yeah. um, basically it means that a lot of these folks getting started don't have to guess. Right. <laughs> it's like, they don't have to be like, well, uh, am I charging enough? Am I not charging enough? How should I pay commissions? Those kinds of things. And, and that's the value of, you know, like for for example, even when you entered into the the industry, you bought a business because you're not starting from scratch. Correct. And sure, there's a lot of things that you got to fix and learn, and there were mistakes, for sure. But you weren't yep. starting from ground zero. Same kind of thing yeah. with the franchise. Same thing with your model. So yeah, really so fascinating. The idea, is, and I always like to really like, you know, I'm not a very good sales guy, so I like to just like tell people like straightforward. I'm like, this is not a guarantee of success. This is a guarantee that you're not gonna hit your face against the wall over and over like we did, wasting time, wasting money. Again, you might suck, but I can basically tell you you're not gonna make a bunch of dumb mistakes because we've made all those. Yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, the reason why we have people initial next to the door color is because yeah. if they try to charge back on their credit card and you don't have an initial next to the door color, the credit card company sides with them. But if you do have the initial, they side with you. 
Yeah. There you go. I just saved you 10 grand. So initial <laughs> next to the door color. So it's a lot of stuff like that, just kind of like in the trenches, best practices that mm -hmm. we learned growing really fast. And we're just like, just there steal my knowledge and use that in Orlando, Florida. Or yeah. Do you follow uh, Alex Hermosi on Twitter? He has a really good quote about like doing sales and not promising success, like you just said, but saying, listen, it's going gonna, it's gonna to require a lot of effort on your part, and it's going to be extremely hard, but your best opportunity for success is to do it with me. And yeah. like I'm, I'm going to be there with you, and you're going to do it all, but we're the best opportunity you have to, to make it work. The so. analogy that I really like is like kind of climbing a mountain which is mm -hmm. you can absolutely show up with a pair of sneakers and just start climbing. And there are people who've done that and they've made it to the top. There's also ones who've died of frostbite, gotten lost, took a wrong turn and took way longer than they had to. I'm an experienced mountain guide. I've been up and down this mountain 50 times, but I'm not a helicopter to the top of the mountain. You still gotta walk your ass up that mountain. Yeah, right? I'll exactly. be right behind you carrying the load, but <laughs> this is not like I drop you off at the top. This isn't crypto, this isn't NFTs. Like at the end of the day, you got to walk your ass up that mountain. I'll be right next to you, but we ain't skipping to the top, brother. Like, yeah. I don't, I wish I knew how to do that, but I don't. So that's yeah. usually what I tell people is you can go just a pair of sneakers and start walking and maybe you'll make it. Maybe you won't. I've been to the top of that mountain. I can be like, don't go right, go left. You're undercharging, you know, or whatever it is. So, yeah. yeah. No, that's a, yeah, that's, that's a great analogy. analogy. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Really cool. So if I'm following your pattern, of doing 50% of what you currently do and 50% of what you want to be doing. How does this fit into it? Of you going into these affiliates? What are you stretching for? So for us, we're, we're nailing this kind of um, affiliate model and it's let me do what I really like doing, which is working directly with business owners on improving their businesses. And I know, I, I don't know if it's you or your partner has like kind of a coaching business, right? Yep. It's a very similar type relationship, which is, I found that the best way for me to have a big ass impact is to work directly with Patrick on how to onboard his first two ops assistants to help him run a third crew successfully yeah. rather than me directly running three crews. The best way for me to have a big ass impact is to work with Patrick and help him run three crews, six crews, nine crews. You know, yep. so, so that's kind of how this fits into the vision, which is I've just found that, um, my kind of energy and my enthusiasm. I work really, really well with business owners and just kind of like, just, just, I, I just like working with business owners. And, you know, the, again, you want to talk about Hormozy, the best way to make a lot of money is to help other people make a lot of money. Yep, exactly. And so, and so that for me is kind of what organizes my thinking, which is I want to make a lot of people a lot of money because I'm going to make money too when they do. Because yeah. I'm, a, I'm a capitalist. This isn't charity. So. For sure. For sure. No, that's fantastic. And more people, a lot of people say they're capitalists, but if you look at their books, they might be running a nonprofit. Um, so, <laughs> no, yeah. yeah, no, I'm a dirty, dirty capitalist. Guilty yeah. as charged. Love it. Love really it. guilty as charged. So I want to, I want to jump over to Twitter, how I found you, right? First thing I saw, we actually talked about it on one of our episodes, um, your Smokey the Bear analogy of qualified leads, of having oh, cool. zones yeah. of you know, yep. when, when it, what is a qualified lead whenever we're this busy versus whenever we're, you know, empty. Um, so I, I really love that, but thank you. Your, your Twitter, you I wanna, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> your Twitter is really great. And you've got several things that I've got questions about, but just tell me sure. a little bit how you got started in Twitter and why you are investing so much time and energy into it. 
Sure. Uh, awesome. Th thanks. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for reading like, you know, uh, those kinds of things. Like it's awesome yeah. to hear people like my stuff. Cause I don't sure. know, I'm like a crazy person locked in a room sometimes. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, the way I got started was, you know, I read something once basically, and everybody who's listening to this knows this, which is people buy from people they trust that they like, that they've seen over time. And yeah. more and more as marketing and advertising gets more and more crowded, people are going to look more and more to trusted voices, like mm -hmm. a podcast, like the Cashflow contractor or right. somebody that they've been following on Twitter for years or whatever. And so I saw how powerful having kind of working, um, in public, so to speak, and just yeah. kind of talking about smart things and kind of building my network of people who go, you know, maybe you, you know, you reaching out to me was because you read my stuff and you're like, oh, exactly. he seems like a little nuts, but smart. I should totally <laughs> talk to him. Right. Whereas if I would have cold emailed you saying, I promise I'm really nuts and smart. You'd be like, who the F is this guy? Right. But because you've been reading my stuff or whatever, yeah. consuming my writing, you're just like, oh yeah, John's cool. Yeah. And so as I think about the kind of impact that I want to have on the, my business life and my business relationships, just kind of writing and getting my, my word out there is, is really important. And you know, the lesson maybe for some of your audience is, um, just being really enthusiastic and passionate about what you do is contagious and magnetic. And yeah. so it doesn't matter. Like I literally, I don't know if you've seen this, there is a freaking guy on, I think he's on TikTok and YouTube shorts. And all he does is pump septic tanks I and have seen he makes that. videos about literally every time he opens the septic tank, he goes, mm, smells like money. And I'm like, <laughs> if this dude can build an audience on this topic, what excuse do you have, Mr. General Contractor, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, I mean, I feel yeah. like, especially with contracting, there's such an opportunity to build in public because you're literally building something like before it's and visual. after is such an easy thing. Yeah, exactly. Whereas like, I honestly, what you do is not quite as visual and it takes a lot more like time and energy to like yep. get something out there. Whereas you could literally just take a couple photos and build in public as a contractor. Or, or just, or just, you know, a selfie video. Every yep. time you go to a job site, what people and Gary Vaynerchuk says this really well, which is people think they need to create content. They don't, they need to document. Yep. And so don't worry about edits. Don't worry about fancy cuts. Don't worry about any of that crap. Open up your phone and say, Hey, I'm here on this job site. Here's a common problem I see. Do you have runoff that goes straight to this? Here's how I fix it. And just, just talk. Don't, yeah. don't think about like, I have to come up with a hook. I have to sell my goods every time. Just like, no, nah, man, just put your, put your expertise into the world and you'll be surprised. That's my, yeah. my belief. Really interesting, man. Love that's it. That's how I got into it. So that's how you got into Twitter. So what has been the impact for you besides, you know, yeah, there's a network effect. You get to meet more people, but what's the impact on you maybe personally since you started building in public? And when was that, by the way? When was like the you so, know, roughly? Yeah. So I roughly started 15 months ago. Okay. So I started in like October of last year. And what was your goal? Like, you have like a, Hey, I'm going to tweet every day or what am I going to try to, yeah, to accomplish? you know, at that point, I think it was that, um, you know, there's all these like kind of business owner networking groups and stuff like that. And I never really felt like I wanted to be a part of those, but mm -hmm. I wanted to kind of talk to other business owners. Yeah. And so I kind of, and you know, LinkedIn is kind of for like the W2 types and yeah. like, that's not really my scene. Sure. And 
when I started reading in the small business part of Twitter, I started to just see like, I'm like, oh, these people are like me. Right. They're just like a little nuts, but doing weird, (laughs) crazy shit, talking about plumbing companies and car washes. I'm like, ah, these are my people. And so when I first started writing, it was basically to like hold up my resume and say, I'm one of you. Let's be friends. Right. Right. Let's let's talk shop. Let's learn. Let's trade. Let's whatever. And then over time, um, you know, I found kind of what part of my experience resonated most with people. Mm-hmm. And then I've just kind of focused on that over time because I've now got a newsletter that I write. And, yeah. and again, I don't necessarily have a specific goal. Um, I'll probably like sell something at some point. I don't know what. Sure. But, uh, for right now, it's just been a great. I consider the people that follow me in my newsletter to be a bigger asset than a huge pile of money in the bank. Yeah, absolutely. I say that another way, right? Yeah, a yeah. Net, your network is your net worth. Um, yep. Yeah, and I've, for example, I've got people as, as silly as it sounds. Like, if I needed to buy another company or start another company, You've the got people it. who would fund it would be on. Twitter. I'd be like, "Hey, yeah. I've got a cool thing I want to buy. Anybody want to help?" And I'd have people. Whereas exactly. a couple of years ago, I'd be cold calling people who had an investor on LinkedIn, and it'd be a complete goat rope. Yeah. Right. So, man, so interesting. So. Yeah. You've been doing it for about 15 months. You're talking yep. about a lot of different topics, SMB yep. related. Uh, by the way, huge uh, for listeners, if you are not on Twitter and you want to be in that as small business owner community, uh, that is a huge place to go and learn, engage, create with others. It, it's fantastic. Any any uh, followers besides yourself that you recommend for people that are looking to get started in Twitter? Yeah, there's there's definitely like some lists floating around of like if you're just getting started, <laughs> yeah. you know, those kinds of things. Um, right. It kind but of for you, on... like, who are some good followers that you like following? Uh, for me, one of my business part, I'll 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 kind of sell my own book here. Um, yeah. I do a lot of uh, business with a gentleman by the name of Peter Lohman. Okay. Who runs a property management company? Um, very uh, successful, and he's a systems guy. So he was a systems engineer. So we geek out a lot about like systemization and stuff like that. Yeah. So I really like him. Okay. Um, my friend, uh, if you ever want to get like excited about small business, my friend who I also buy stuff with, uh, her name's Cody Sanchez, has this huge media company and it's all about like old school businesses. She's a great place to start. Um, she'll get you excited about like buying vending machines. Like yeah. she's just like really, really good. She did a great video on me, which was super flattering. Um, She's really good. Let me think of one other one that's good. Um, who else do I really like uh, following? Um, I should probably pull up my Twitter. It's probably the best. That's okay. That's okay. Um, yeah, those, two's those, good, those two's some good, good ones. For now. That's P- good Peter start. and Cody. It's great. Yeah, Peter yeah we Cody. mentioned Alex earlier. He's not really SMB necessarily, but good business guy, Alex Ramosi. Oh, yeah. Ramosi's um, good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Okay. So I want to go through a few things that we saw that I've seen on Twitter. Um, first thing is hiring overseas. It's a huge topic. You've got a newsletter, extreme outsourcing on Substack uh, that people should go in and check out. Free. Yep. Yeah. Free, free, free for now. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) So yeah, with, with, uh, with hiring overseas, I want to just talk about labor in general as it applies to construction, right? You're not necessarily as specialized in construction. You don't need someone that's going to be able to drive a forklift or, you know, someone's going to have an excavator license, but what is what are people missing out on with hiring people that are overseas like obviously you can't hire someone that's going to go to the job site that's from overseas necessarily but what are they missing out on yep so uh awesome question so just give a little bit of background 
um, because I lived abroad, I feel probably I was an early adopter to using sure. what I call like global talent. Yeah. Because I'd always dealt with people from different cultures in India and Pakistan and Tunis and South Africa and Nigeria, right? That's just a very normal part of my life, kind of living abroad for as long as I did. Yeah. So that kind of gave me at least like an early adopter mindset of like, hey, uh, this person's really crappy and they're local. This person's really good and they're in a different country. Why the hell would I use that this person, right? right. So that's the first thing I'd say is that's, that's the only reason why I have an advantage here is because I... I got a head start. I've just had more experience, right? Right. Um, the second thing I would say for, in particular, for folks like um, uh, in construction, I'll just give a very specific example and then I'll, I'll kind of go from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My operate, and there's a picture on Twitter, I don't know if you saw it, of my crews in my warehouse of a business that I used to own. They would come in and I had someone who's incredible. She's awesome. She's worked with me forever. She was my operations manager and my Mexican-American crews would come in. Zoom would be up. She would share the screen of that day's install. They would ask her questions and then she would watch on GPS as they drove their trucks to the job site as she was texting with the customer because I had so much trouble sourcing reliable labor in Southern California for office stuff. I said, fuck it, fuck it. And so I taught those guys how to be kind of operationally managed by somebody on the other side of the world. She's awesome. She's great compared to America. She's super inexpensive. She's excited to be there every day. She speaks great English. And my crews are happy because they've got someone responsive who's good. They're not hiding liquor bottles in the pullout drawer, right? Which is something I've dealt with. I mean, the trades, man, right? Yeah. So that's that's the second thing I'll say is your business is more able to be global talented than you yeah. might expect. And then the, the last thing that I'll say is, and I work, I've done some advising, you know, some companies have kind of brought me in to help them make sense of all this. Yeah. And for something like construction, I use an analogy that I think is really um, a powerful one, uh, which is, I could either do, should I do a military one or a cooking one? Either Let's one. Let's do both. Let's get okay, both. I'll do both. Do yeah. Both. So I'll start with the military one. Okay. A guy who works for me is a 20-year Navy SEAL. Awesome, Mm. super smart, incredible. When one of those guys goes abroad, for every one Navy SEAL, they have like 10 or 15 what are called enablers. Mm. And that person is the armorer who takes care of all their weapons, the person who fixes their truck, the person who does the intelligence, the person who does the operate, whatever. Because Navy SEALs are really slow and expensive to train, but enablers are faster and easier to find and train and retain. So having a Navy SEAL fix your truck is a really inefficient use of a Navy SEAL. Because you can give a guy a three month course on fixing the truck, but the SEAL has to be in training for 10 years. And so I'll give one other analogy and then I'll bring it all together. Gordon Ramsay or a really high performance chef, he's one of a kind. One of a kind, skilled, like you have no idea. Would you ever have Gordon Ramsay scrub a pot or wash Never. a dish yeah. or chop an onion? Hell no. So those, he, has, he has a team of sous chefs, right? Or yeah. prep cooks or dishwashers. And he's still there for that critical high skill piece. But if he's sitting there scrubbing a dish, you're going, what the fuck are you doing, Gordon? Yeah. Go Get do out of there. high skill. 
go do high skilled stuff. And so when I work with folks like contractors, you're like, no, it's all high skill. I go, talk to me about what percentage of the day your plumber is actually plumbing. And in most cases, it's like half. And I'm like, yeah. awesome. What if he had somebody who did all the scheduling for him? What if he had somebody who put all the orders at the parts house for him? What if he had somebody who scheduled the truck maintenance for him? What if he invoices. had somebody who did all of his expenses for him? What if he had somebody who chased down open invoices for him? How many more water heaters per day could he install? Yeah. And you're like, oh shit, yeah, I guess. So the, the point is, is that think of your plumber or your HVAC technician or your high skilled guy as your Navy SEAL, and then have a bunch of enablers who are remote, who basically let him just do the hard shit instead of calling to confirm appointments and right. scheduling the truck maintenance, you know, all these, all these back office things that aren't actually plumbing. So yeah. that's, that's what I, you know, when I think about global talent, it's a real opportunity, I think, for a lot yeah. of folks who are frustrated finding local talent, who, you know, want to grow, those kinds of things. That's okay, a long so answer to a short question. No, no, that's that's fantastic. And I think it's such a great example for people to understand because they're trying to think about, there's no way I can hire somebody overseas. They There's so little they could do in reality. There's so much they can do. And that oftentimes it's the business owner that is that Navy SEAL. They're the ones that are, they're, they're so valuable to the business and they're wasting their time on things that they shouldn't be doing. Yep. And so, you know, that that's even just a starting point for a lot of people. So I want to go really, you know, tactical deep on this sure. technical yeah. even. So I'm, I'm ready. John, you convinced me. I'm, yep. I'm the Navy SEAL. I need to get yep. better at this. Where do I start? So to your point, the first thing I do is absolutely read all the back issues of my newsletter. <laughs> it'll give you a really good, it's free. There's like 20 of them, right? Right. It'll give you a really good baseline. Um, read my Twitter. I talk about best practices a lot, right? Yeah. Um, second thing I would say is, and you just, you mentioned it really well, a really good kind of practice hire is an assistant to the CEO okay. because it's kind of like low stakes and it yeah. lets you kind of warm up a bit. Right. You get a feel for how to pay somebody abroad. Right. You uh, understand kind of maybe some cultural dynamics that are a little bit different. You just kind of build the muscle a little bit before you start like having those people talk to customers. Right. Right. That, I would only wait. Don't, you know, you don't have to like, that's like walking in the gym and putting 405 on the bench. Right. Yeah. Like, let's start with the PVC pipe. Make sure your technique's right. <laughs> and so an assistant for a busy business owner is a great way to do it, right? And what because are some things that they're gonna do for me as a busy business owner? Like obviously uh, we've mentioned some for the plumber, but ideally as a business owner, what are they helping me with? So I, you know, I, I can talk about the things that I use or I can talk about sure. things that- Sure, let's, let's talk about for you. Like for you, how does your assistant work? Everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, scheduling meetings, this podcast was scheduled by my yep. assistant, um, responding to uh, emails, that with standard responses that I've given her, right? Hi highlighting which emails are important that I need to review, which ones she can just kind of manage on her own. Right. Um, buying me things. Um, I really use my assistant a lot for voice notes. So get, what is that? So voice notes very easily on an iPhone or an Android, you can hit record. And okay. what I do is, you know, I've got it. I'll show you my phone. I've got voice memos right there on my iPhone. Yep. And if I just ha hit voice notes and I would literally send a message like this, 
Hey, Jermaine, um, can you move my 4 p.m. meeting to 5 p.m.? Also, hop on Amazon and get me a new podcast microphone. By the way, I'm thinking about launching a new marketing campaign. Can you do some research on three Google pay-per-click vendors that uh, work with construction companies? Yep. Then, magically, I just hit one button, it goes off to her, and within an hour, two hours, I get this beautiful email or Google document with everything that I wanted, and I was driving to my meeting just dictating, essentially. And she right. knows how to process that and turn that into actions for me. So instead of me having to sit at a computer and get, you know, really think through stuff, I can just rip off voice notes and she knows what to do with them. You know, yeah. I've trained her. And so how long does that take to get to that point for you? Uh, it takes a little, you, you obviously there's, and this is what I write about, right? But there's some skill in terms of learning to kind of use this talent pool the right way. But, right. um, you know, what I'll tell people just to manage expectations is it takes more time before it takes less time. But then once you've figured it out, your business and your life will be changed forever. That's yeah. what I tell people. So it's mm -hmm. like in the beginning, you're going to have another daily meeting because you need to get this person up to speed, right? You right. need to write some process. How do you like your voice notes? What kind of work do you need? Those kinds of things. Um, however, once you've got that person trained and you've built kind of a playbook for them to operate off of, you're going to go, holy crap. Like, this is incredible. Yeah, <laughs> these folks this are, is way easier. These folks are six bucks an hour. They're happy to be here. Right. They're awesome. They're excited. They're motivated. They're ready to go. So I'm definitely like a big, big fan of, of, of global talent. Okay, so you've convinced me. I know that I need an assistant. I'm going to hire. How do I hire? Where do I start? Where do I go? Yep. So if anybody wants some like specific stuff, I've got some great, easy, free stuff I can give you. Just send me a DM on Twitter. Um, yeah. But I can broadly talk about kind of how I do it, which is um, for me, I would go to onlinejobs.ph. It's a job okay. board for folks from the Philippines. Generally speaking, I use all sorts of talent from everywhere. So Mexico, whatever, but Philippines for like assistant operations stuff. It's culturally a really good fit with Americans. It's just like a best practice. Okay. Um, they just, what other countries they're, do you they're, recommend? They're, what, like what other ones do you work with? On your it depends sure. on your task, right? So yeah. anything with like coding and technology, Eastern Europe, right? Yeah. So Estonia, Croatia, Ukraine, great coders and like, hey, I need this uh, little Microsoft Excel formula built. Co Eastern Europe all day. Um, yeah. Anybody who you need time, if you need a ton of like time zone coverage, South America, right? Because they're in our time zone. Right. Now, a lot of times Philippines folks will work U.S. hours, but there's issues with that, which we can talk about. So um, Central South America, great for um, time zone based roles, right? Yeah. Philippines, back office finance. So all my bookkeepers, my accountants, all those folks are based in the Philippines. Um, they're super smart. They have master's degrees. Like they're, they're incredible. And right. because of the the wage difference, they're incredibly affordable, but they're upper middle class in the Philippines, right? right. So, so I'm paying a, a full-time accountant, my full-time accountant right now, based in the Philippines, $1,500 a month, has a master's degree, and she's upper middle class, and she's freaking incredible. Balance sheet reconciliations, mm -hmm. P&Ls. Now she doesn't do wires, right? Like my sure. CFO does that, but she, reconciliations, freaking, and she's full-time. It's incredible. Yeah, it's great. Right. So, so those are the countries I do it from. So, onlinejobs.ph for like an assistant role. 
the guy, um, John Jonas, the founder, super smart guy, him and I are email buddies. Um, he's got some free resources there on like how to use folks from overseas. But and who's John speaking, Jonas, sorry? He's the founder of onlinejobs.ph. Okay. Which is that job board for finding folks in the Philippines. Gotcha. Create a job post, you know, um, be very kind of specific as to what you need. Don't have uh, what we call like, um, we call it like uh, superstar syndrome. They need to know construction and they need to be cheap and they need, it's like, let's, let's, you know, let's be realistic here. So um, sure. I would say just like all purpose assistant needed, uh, some familiarity with technology is good, can do attitude coachable. Right? Yeah. Um, then I'd interview them, talk to a couple of them. Uh, and you have some fascinating tips on interview. You like don't do a in-person interview if you're not going to meet with them in person, right? Isn't that something you Correct. said? Yeah. yeah. So, so basically one of the things that I, I do is it depends on the role, but if I don't want to manage them via zoom, why would I interview them via zoom? Mm. Yeah. Right now, if I want to manage them via zoom, then I will absolutely interview them via zoom. But right. if, for example, a graphic designer, right, or a video editor, I never want to talk to that person. I want to send them projects and I get back an edited video. So when yeah. I interview them, I'm going to send them raw video. And I don't care if he's got broken English, works at two in the morning. If he sends me back a good edited video within 24 hours, he's hired. And yeah. so don't, don't interview differently than you want to supervise. And so... For my assistants, I do want to talk to them because I am going to have a personal relationship with them, you know. Right. Um, but somebody like a bookkeeper, eh? Yeah. I mostly want to send them emails. Right. No. Yeah. So very good best point. practice. Any okay. any sort so, of hirings like that. Yeah. So so uh, you can expect really good English too, right? You shouldn't like settle for. Uh, it's okay. No, like you can expect high proficiency. Abs absolutely. What I would say is, for. If you say unaccented English, you're going to have a very small pool. So you'll have really good English, but it will be accented. And for most roles, you don't need unaccented English. Yeah. However, like my bookkeeper, you look, don't care. lots of Americans have accents. It's not that big of a deal. Like, <laughs> yeah. whatever, right? However, the person answering your phone, they need to have better English than me. Right. So it really depends on what role you need them for, but everybody will have great English. Yeah. But some of it will be accented. You know, maybe their written English is better than their spoken English. Like, I look at my Arabic, right? Like, <laughs> if, somebody, if somebody tried to speak to me in Arabic, they'd be like, John's an idiot. I'm like, no, it's my, like, third language, right? Yeah. So be patient. And so <laughs> just because somebody's got a little chunky English, if they're an accountant, do you really care? If they're the person answering your phone, doing sales over the phone, yeah, they need to have good English, right? So, yeah. so it's really just make sure you're not, like, overloading requirements that are unnecessary. Yeah. So. Balanced okay. perspective. Yeah. Gotcha. So, so you've hired him. You've done your yep. interviews. You've selected a candidate. You you talk a lot about managing your team uh, that is overseas. Yep. I know that you've got newsletters on this. What are some like you know key things that you want people to understand about managing overseas talent? There's cultural differences. There's processes, practices. Yep. Go ahead. Yep. So I think it's basically, and for this audience, I'm sure it's relevant, but it's very similar to managing any employee, it's just magnified, right? Yeah. Because what, now- Which a lot of contractors struggle with, frankly. They're, yeah. they're so worried about the job that they don't want, they don't really dedicate a lot of time to managing employees and putting in processes because they're focused on the job. Yep. But go ahead. Correct. And so I would just say it's going to 
it's it's like what people say about getting rich it just makes you more of who you were originally and so hiring global talent just makes you more of whatever kind of manager you were with local talent mm-hmm. right yeah. so if you're really like unclear with instructions that's kind of a problem for in-office staff it's a freaking crisis for global talent because yeah you can't just say hey follow khalil around for the first week he'll teach you you can't do that right and so if you don't have your shit together um, it's just gonna, you're just gonna flail, right? Yeah. And so some of the best practices are, um, again, recognizing it's gonna cost you more time before it saves you time. It's probably the yeah. biggest one. It's an investment, yeah. right? Um, being really clear in your instructions, I would say is a big one. So saying, instead of just kind of like an all lowercase half formed email, you have to, you have to be a leader, right? You have to say, <laughs> Okay, the background is, is we get lots of emails. I'm too busy to answer them. Your goal is to sort through them and flag important ones. The way you're gonna do that, like you have to speak clearly in written or verbal form. You can't just say, hey, can you just uh, do my emails? What the hell does do my emails mean, right? And it's, it's, and exactly, it's exactly like your analogy earlier of climbing the mountain. You've gotta be that guy that's climbing the mountain. You can't just be like, yeah, just go ahead and go up right there, right. that's the spot. Oh, no, I don't like- see at the top, I'm busy. You've got to literally hold their hand and do it with them so that and, neck, and, on their way down, they they remember and they can redo it, go back up themselves. And over time, right, they're going to yeah. learn as are you. And then you're going to see how powerful it is to have access and understanding of this kind of talent pool. You'll never right. run your company the same way again. But in the beginning, you're going to be like, you know, when I look at, unfortunately or fortunately, I've had so many roles that, I've had to settle for local talent that was frankly way too expensive, really just wanted to be a YouTuber, you know, had substance abuse problems, was shitty at their job, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Hadn't put in the hard day's work in their life. And I was just like, I'm sick and tired of it. I'm done. I, I, I got a question. Sure. You know, kind of veering off of this track that we're on. What's the problem with local talent right now? What are you seeing as an issue in the glo- in the local workforce here in the United States? Um, you know, I'm not like one of these old guys that's like, back in my day, right? <laughs> um, I think the fact is, though, is that kind of entry-level white collar, I'd call it, right, is a very difficult pool to especially like post COVID and stuff like that, it's a very difficult talent pool, right? And so in Southern California, right, when I'm interviewing for an office manager who is within 45 minutes of where my big warehouse is, my starting wage for essentially an unskilled office manager, just to even get responses is probably around 25 bucks an hour. And that person's W2. And so that means with all my, you know, contributions and taxes and all that crap, it's really about 25% more than that. Right. And that's to get somebody who really doesn't even want this job. They're just like, it's a transitionary role for them. They're like $25 an hour. How can I survive in Southern California on that? And just because of the cost of living and, you know, the cost of living and taxes, I don't blame them either, by the way. They're like, I really need to be closer to $30 an hour. And I'm like, Awesome, but for me to run this business, either I can jack the shit out of my prices to the customers, or I can find somebody who's seven bucks an hour, who's remote, 
who's happy to be here, who will work with me for freaking years and years and years and isn't desperate to be a YouTuber. Yeah, so, and, and more than happy. It's, it's not just happy. It's like ecstatic to work oh, with Oh, I'll show you an e I can show you an email. It was, hey, just want to thank you so much. Um, I'm finally able to accomplish my dream, which is to buy a car. Um, this job has changed Twitter. my life. I'm so excited for the next couple years with your company. I'm like, have you ever gotten that from someone like entry level local? And I'm like, I haven't. Again, I love Americans. I'm the most, I serve my country, right? Like I'm, I love America, but as a yeah. business owner and as a capitalist, when I look at substance abuse, tough to deal with, tough to find, super expensive local person, or happy to be here, stick around for years remote. I'm like, eh. Yeah, it's it's almost a no brainer. I, honestly, I think there's nothing more American than the mentality that the global uh, overseas talent has. Because you look at what really built America in the 1900s, and it's the American dream. And it's people, and it's still being built by people with the American dream, quite frankly, that are coming here and, and immigrating here and see that there's so much less friction in their life, that they've got you know, a, a home country that just buried them underneath a lot of difficult challenges and there was no ways to rise to the top. And so they come here and they rise to the top and now they can do it without actually having to move here. And I think, yeah, it's, I mean, I think we're, it's brilliant. And, and, and to be able to, to be able to work with somebody who's excited to be there, yeah, who supports you, who um, wants to learn and get better and is humble and is thirsty and is like, it's, it's, you know, we're a nation of immigrants and this kind of yeah. immigrant mentality is, is wonderful. And I'll tell you like a crazy story that just like, I, I was working with a dentist mm. and he was in like Ohio or something. Right. And he had this long, long, long-term accounts receivable person who'd worked with him for 15 years. Right. And he walked by one day and said, Hey, uh, where's the, where's that payment for the person who just got the crown molding and his accounts receivable person said, you make enough money. So she yeah. didn't bill him. And he was just like, I, it's like, how, how, what? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. like, but he, he was like, he felt like he was handcuffed because he's like, I don't have anybody else who I can hire. It's so hard to find people that are, and I'm like, Habibi, I can help yeah. you. Yallah. Habibi. <laughs> so, so, um, so, you know, it's again, I, this is not like an anti-American tirade. This is a pro capitalism tirade, which is sure which is just like the way that global manufacturing revolutionized commerce and brought prices down and all that stuff. It's going to be the same thing with knowledge work, white collar work, global yeah. white collar work. I'll Especially give you, I'll with ChatGPT, you know, it just- I'll give, you, it, I'll give you an example and I could show, I could show, I was literally having this conversation today. Yo, I, I'm not going to share my screen because we're on a podcast, but I just hired somebody who, and I, you'll, you'll appreciate what this means. Let me pull it up. It was a- he wanted someone who could take a, I guess it's a, you're going to correct me and your audience is going to be laughing at my ignorance. I think it was basically to take a blueprint yeah. and turn it into a materials list for yeah. a, so it's like how much lumber, how many windows, what kind of siding, sure. whatever. And he said, as a small general contractor, this sucks up a lot of my time. And I found him someone in the Philippines who's been doing this for 15 years, who's like nine bucks an hour. 
And now he just sends the plans and a day later comes back this beautiful Microsoft Excel spreadsheet of every piece of material and all that stuff. And he's like, this is going to change my business. And I'm like, yeah, yep. Yeah. Yep. It's fantastic. You know? Yep. And you know, I, I really like the point that you made earlier about what we talked about silver bullets and you know, all that stuff with software, but uh, same thing with, with the overseas talent, they're not going to just solve all your problems. You've got to put the time in, you've got to put the energy in, you've got to be a good manager. You have to have a vision for your company. And quite frankly, there's nothing worse than not having those things and then running a company with excited employees who you just pay and don't really work that hard. And you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. Anyways. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I guess maybe I'm a big golden retriever, right? I'm an enthusiastic guy, if that's not obvious. But what I would say is I would hope this maybe plants the seed in someone listening's mind of mm -hmm. just saying like, hey, it's worth thinking about this a little bit, exploring this a little bit, um, because you're no longer limited to just like your backyard in terms of who you work with. So that would yeah. maybe be my only goal. Okay. No, that's, that's really great. We appreciate that. So uh, I got a couple of questions before we jump off. So you are tweeting quotes to my son all the time. Tell me a little bit more about why you do that and what it is. Sure. So I've got a f almost five month old in three days, little boy. Hey, uh, congrats, I'm man. I'm obsessed with. Yeah, he's the man. Yeah. My first. Is it your first? Um, my first. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have a 17 month old and she's, oh man, it, it oh, just keeps best. getting better. Yeah. Oh, it's the best. I was on a, I was on a, a podcast last night talking about how a lot of this journey that I've been on has been to set up the life that I want so that we walked on the beach this morning, right? Mm. Like, you know, like we, I don't have to have my phone ringing at nine at night because something blew up at work or what, right? Yeah. So a lot of this stuff is about creating a lifestyle. Um, but for me, you know, I had a great dad, uh, you know, I want to be a good dad. And one of the things that I've done over the years is I have this huge document of things that I've read quotes, poems, passages that like spoke to me. And if I'm having a bad day or if I'm thinking about a partnership gone wrong or whatever it is. And so um, I wanted to just kind of share those in a form. And one day I'll probably just like make a book and give it to my, my son. But right. it was just like my favorite ones that to me are kind of like a guidebook for what I believe in and what, what's important mm -hmm. to me. And they're just things that over the last 20 years in some random book I read, I, I found a line that just like really spoke to me. So I wrote it down and I, I put it in a big, a big document. So I love it. Why I do no, it. they're so good. They're inspirational too. And I, I love the idea of, you know, just in terms of even building a business, how you're making investments incrementally every single day in your business the same thing happens inside of any relationship, but especially with a child. And by obviously you're tweeting these, but you have them elsewhere. And to give that to your son one day, uh, I, as a as a son, I can't imagine the the feeling you would have and how much you would cherish those quotes. So, yeah, no, knowing yeah. that since the day he's born, I've exactly. been like writing to him is what I exactly. really what I wanted. But yeah. and, and for me, what I also like about it is that look. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> They're reminders to myself too, right? Like, yes, you know, exactly. Half, Seventy-five percent of the audience is me. I'm like, ah, oh, shit. Yeah, it's probably me. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah so I should write that one down. <laughs> it's me trying to be a better father as well and aspire to these ideas that some people way smarter than me have written down. And I'm just like, look, I, I, you know, when one teaches, two learn, 
right? Yeah. The old the old joke. And so by me talking about this and what it means to be a man and those kinds of things, like I'm like, ah, shit, I probably should get in better shape. I'm a little fat or whatever, yeah. you know? So yeah. uh, that's how I think no, about it. That's great. And I, I think it's such a, a good thing for listeners to remember that, you know, you're not just doing business for business sake. There's got to be a greater purpose behind it. And what better purpose than to invest in your family and your children? Um, it's It's so needed out there in the world. Man, we have covered a lot of things. We've covered your background. We've covered everything about your business and building the business in a box with Organized Garage. Uh, go check it out, organizedgarage.com, listeners. We'll put that in the show notes. But um, yeah, everything about hiring overseas talent, why you should do it, the value that they can add. But also, it's a mountain that you've got to climb and it's not going to be easy. Um, so really, really fantastic. I really appreciate having you on, John, and joining us. You said you are a bad salesperson. I disagree because anybody who has a mustache and is able to convince their wife that they can keep it is a good salesperson in my book. Damn so, right. Two yeah. good mustaches on this call. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I love it. <laughs> well, uh, man, appreciate having you. I'll put your Twitter down below. Anything else you want to know, listeners to know? Um, yeah. One final thought, which is, yeah. which is the way that your business operates every day is a choice. And if you don't like the way that it operates, make the choice to get better, reach out to a guy like Khalil, reach out to somebody like me, go to work, do your homework, because once it happens more than once, it's a choice. And so if you don't like the way something is, this is call this your call to action, you're kicking the ass to build the business that you wish you had, you know, like stop working on your before picture. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Love it, man. Appreciate your time, John. Sure. Thanks for being on. Okay, take care. Thanks for listening to The Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.